0: Hello, I'm your host Josh Charrick and welcome to A History of Heavy Metal in 100 Songs episode 3. Today I'll be discussing Blue Suede Shoes by Elvis Presley. I'd recommend listening to the previous episode on Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley as I will be doing some comparisons between that song and this one. If you've not heard the song before or it's been a while since you have, pause the podcast, give it a listen and come straight back. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at A-H-O-H-M-100. How do you introduce a musician like Elvis Presley, one of music's behemoths, rivaled by unit sales, popularity, cultural reach by very few, perhaps only the Beatles? A man so important culturally and musically, I'm not sure there would be any Beatles without him. As I write and record this, a biopic of The King by Baz Luhrmann has been released and is in cinemas. I've not seen it yet myself. I know many musicians get called The King, but perhaps Elvis is the most deserving of the title in terms of how enormous his empire is. His beginnings were humble, to say the least. He came from poverty in Mississippi, at times was homeless, and eventually moved to Memphis, Tennessee. He was close to his parents and always had time for music and received a guitar for his 11th birthday from his mother. It would be the same guitar that he would use to audition for Sun Records, a rhythm and blues label in Memphis, and possibly one of the most important record labels in history. Presley did quite well with some records, scoring some hits with Baby Let's Play House and I Forgot to Remember to Forget. Fortunately, uh, such, (laughs) such a meaningless title, something I can only really describe as a pile of words, didn't put off country and western fans as the song reached number one in the country and western charts. Thanks to a new shady manager, of which there are many half-truths, rumours and stranger-than-fiction stories, Colonel Tom Parker signed Presley to RCA, with the label buying Elvis's contract for a whopping $40,000. That sum had never been heard of before. And this brings us to his first record with RCA and Blue Suede Shoes. As the album's opener, it immediately grabs attention and builds excitement. One for the money, two for the show. Possibly Elvis' catchphrase, split up with stabs from the guitar then barrelling into a fast-paced feel-good track. Remember the last episode when I explained how 180 beats per minute was a good dance speed? Elvis has gone one up and recorded the song at 190 beats per minute, creating a high-energy tune that, if you didn't want to dance to, you could probably mosh to. I kinda joke, but rock and roll was the heavy metal music of its day. Elvis was huge and his fanbase was so all encompassing but his rock contemporaries like Jerry Lee Lewis had a large audience but it was more centred around the music. There are live performances by Lewis of a whole lot of shaking going on which have the same energy as a lightning bolt gig. But I digress, back to Shoes. The instrumentation is actually pretty simple. Elvis is singing and playing his acoustic guitar, he eventually got a new one. Drums tying everything together, a walking bluesy double bass, and an electric guitar. And you can definitely hear the development of the guitar solo in this, especially compared to Rock Around the Clock that was recorded two years prior. Scotty Moore, the guitar player, develops the solo. Instead of it being a simple riff to get from A to B, he's noodling around on the high end of the neck. And it works really well for the song, not detracting from the danceability, but adding some flair. Sure, it's still on the simple side, it's no Hendrix or Kirk Hammett, but it really is a development and you're starting to see some musicianship come into the solo here. Plus, with the simple instrumentation, we see a move away from horns and pianos as lead instruments and more focus on guitars which is quite an essential step on our way to heavy metal. I imagine for someone like Elvis, building his way up from nothing, It would have been cheaper to drive a four-piece to gigs rather than a seven-piece with all their musical equipment. By wonder, Rock Around the Clock has more instrumentation and this adds complexity to the song. But it's not like Blue Suede Shoes is sparse, it's just as tight and full of feeling as Rock Around the Clock. Did the guitar become more intricate to make up for this? If Moore played something more like Rock Around the Clock solo, I think the song would feel more sparse. The lack of instrumentation has given space for the guitar to become a bigger part of the song, and was this done out of necessity or opportunity? We can't talk about Blue Suede Shoes without discussing Cole Perkins though, the original songwriter. Perkins wrote this in 1955, a year before Presley's release and the two were friends who met at Sun Records. Perkins' version is a bit slower and has a bit of a different feel to it, perhaps a bit more bluegrass than rock and roll. There are different versions on what the lyrics are about. Quite clearly, it's about a guy who values his blue suedes very highly Johnny Cash told Perkins about a military airman who called his boots his blue suedes and told people not to scuff them, and Perkins should write a song about that. I mean, to me, this seems kind of random, or maybe you had to be there, or did Johnny Cash just go around telling songwriters these random stories of his life so they could be made into songs? I also feel that Johnny Cash would have a lot more exciting things happen to him than this that are more song-worthy, Perkins' version of how the song came to be was he was playing a gig and in between songs he could hear a couple arguing near the stage. The man was scolding the woman for treading on his blue suede shoes and Perkins thought it was funny this guy cared more about his shoes than his girlfriend. Lyrically, there's not much more to say about the track. It's very simple. Again, an easy song with a catchy tune that people can dance to. Similar to Rock Around the Clock, it's not really about the lyrics though. It's about dancing and having fun. I guess there's something understandable to the audience, perhaps almost comical, that this person cares so much about his shoes. And I think that makes it a bit more relatable than counting the numbers on a clock face. It might seem a bit odd to us to cover a song a year after it came out, but it was quite common practice back then. RCA Victor wanted to release Blue Suede Shoes as a single, but Presley insisted they hold off to let Perkins' version get as much success as possible. And Perkins did very well. The song had appealed to rock and roll, country and western and rockabilly fans, meaning it appeared high in many of those charts. It reached number one on the Memphis charts and stayed there for three months. At its height, 20,000 copies were being shipped each day. Within a couple of months, one million copies had been sold. It reached number two on the Billboard charts. It was the first country song to sell over a million copies. And of course, the first Sun artist to achieve this. However, the good time stopped for Perkins. He was driving to a TV appearance and got into a fatal car crash. He survived, but was hospitalized, meaning he couldn't tour to promote the song or his other material. Whilst there was some momentum which kept going, it wasn't enough to stay at the top. And during his hospitalization, Presley released his version of shoes. Perkins watched him on TV and knew his time at the top was over. Elvis had everything, Perkins would go on to say. He had the looks, the moves, the manager, and the talent. And he didn't look like Mr. Ed, like a lot of us did. And I guess that's why this episode is named after Elvis Presley and not Cole Perkins. The big part, possibly the reason Presley became so big so quickly, is his attitude on stage, his good looks, his style, and his sex appeal. Rock and roll was considered dangerous music at the time and not something good people would listen to. Put a guy like Presley on TV singing rock and roll. He's either the Antichrist or your new crush. Elvis's long, slick back hair, sharp yet informal appearance and sexual dance moves went against the short, buzz-shaved hair and suit wearing of the era. More so, Presley's moves drove teenage girls wild, which upset those parents. Famously, when appearing on the Ed Sullivan show, the host did not want to show Presley's sexy leg movements and said to film him from the waist up. But this is a lie. Sure, Sullivan wasn't that into Elvis but he booked him for three appearances in 1956. These are on YouTube, and you can watch him gyrate until your heart's content. The second appearance is a single camera shot from the chest up, but this feels more like a stylistic decision than a a moral one. Yet there was a backlash from the establishment. Churches denounced him with Christian publications printing headlines like beware of Elvis Presley. A Florida judge threatened to have Presley arrested for being too provocative. Judge Gooding issued warrants in advance for Elvis' arrest. The police were at his show to watch for any little wiggle and vowed to arrest him if he made one wrong move. They were even filming the show for proof. Yeah, this conservative judge wanted a video of Elvis moving in a seductive manner for proof of being too provocative. I think we've all heard that one before. Elvis would defend himself, saying he does it for the love of the music and he doesn't see how he can be doing anything wrong. He can't sit still whilst music is playing and he has to dance. He also said, I don't see how any type of music could have any bad influence on people when it's only music. And he also said, I mean, how would rock and roll music make anyone rebel against their parents? There's a pattern emerging here. Elvis was just doing what he loved, it was different, somehow challenging and the establishment labelled him dangerous and immoral. I read a theory that white America was scared that Presley might break down barriers between African-Americans and white Americans. After all, he was playing black music to a white audience. I think there's definitely something in this, even if it wasn't so overtly said. With this, I think there was also a deep fear of empowering women's sexuality. At such a conservative time, certain men must have been very scared to see women get excited over something out of their control. Presley has been accused of racism, of saying racist comments and stealing music from black musicians and not paying them royalties. And there's very little to substantiate this. I'll be honest, going into this episode, before doing my research, I thought this was the case and I was looking for proof of this to talk about, but I actually found the opposite. In 1957, Louis Robinson, a reporter for Jet, a black magazine, interviewed Presley about certain comments he made. Comments which I'm not that comfortable repeating here and aren't terribly relevant to repeat here. But Presley denied ever making them. Black performers who worked with Presley defended him with backing vocalist and R&B musician in her own right, Darlene Love saying, I would never think that Elvis Presley was a racist. Pianist Dudley Brooks said, Presley faces everyone like a man. Separately, James Brown said Presley and him are brothers. Robinson concluded, To Elvis, people are people, regardless of race, colour or creed. Apparently Presley donated to NAACP and other civil rights movements, and that's according to Jim Crow Museum in Michigan. Yet, not everyone agrees Presley is free of problems. Ray Charles said, to say that Elvis was so great and outstanding, like he's the king, the king of what? I know too many artists that are far greater. He was doing our kind of music, so what am I supposed to get excited about? Where's this anger coming from? As Little Richard puts it, if Elvis had been black, he wouldn't have been as big as he was. It was a racist time, a very racist time, and Elvis is a product of that. He was highly influenced by African-American musicians. He grew up with them, listening to both black spirituals and secular music. So when he channels those musical styles, that stagemanship, basically his whole package, He was taking a lot from marginalized cultures and making a lot of money from it when those opportunities were closed to them purely for the color of their skin. Of course, there were black musicians who made it big. B.B. King, who was friends with Presley and they helped each other out. James Brown, Little Richard, as mentioned before. They were similar to Presley, but none achieved the same level of wealth or cultural significance as Presley did. I do understand why Ray Charles is so angry. To him, a black musician, doors were closed which opened for Presley doing the same thing. I mean Nat King Cole was assaulted on stage playing to a white audience in 1956. Maybe Presley was just a product of his time doing what he could do to help and maybe playing black music to a white audience was the only way to start breaking down racial barriers, even if it was too much for the religious and political establishments to handle at the time. Maybe there was more he could do, and maybe he could have spoken up more for equal rights more often. There's one story that goes around claiming Presley stole Hound Dog from Big Mama Thornton, a woman of colour playing blues around the same time as Presley. He made millions and didn't give her a dime, or something along those lines. Big Mama Thornton didn't write that song. It was written by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, and the rights to the song were probably owned by them. As mentioned, it was Common's cover a song which had only just been released, and Hound Dog was covered by Freddie Bell and the Bell Boys. Whilst Presley knew of Big Mama Thornton's version, it was Freddie Bell's version that Presley based his off. However, record labels would do this as a way of trying to eliminate competition, and of course the two white male bands would have a much better chance at outselling the black female singer. Especially the one on RCA, a major label. Why is this relevant though? Why why am I talking about this? It shows how groundbreaking Presley was, like on a scale no one had seen before. He was seen as a danger, a threat to the ruling class with a possibility of changing society. Elvis was a force powerful enough to do this, but he took casualties in the process. One way of looking at it is, was it better Elvis existed than not? I think so. But I also can't help thinking of the people this was problematic for. Bill Haley may have introduced the world to rock and roll. Elvis packaged it up with sex appeal, attitude and youthfulness. Shoes was the opener on his first album, for many the first song of his they even heard. It's high tempo, chill inducing, high energy music hooked them in. It was the first RCA record to earn over a million dollars and within the year had sold a million copies. Unsurprisingly, the album reached number one in the US and UK charts. RCA decided to release all songs on the album as singles, an unusual decision at the time. As a single, Blue Suede Shoes reached number 20 on the charts. Considering Perkins' version was released eight months prior and sold really well, the single was already on the available album, getting to number 20 is still pretty impressive. Presley's first album marks his departure from a local hero to a worldwide sensation. Shoes have become a staple in rock and roll, and rock music and has been covered by many musicians from Eddie Catrain to Motorhead and even Bill Haley. This pattern emerges again. Elvis loved music and he loved to dance. He wanted the world to gyrate with him. The religious and ruling classes deemed him unfit for TV, evil and should be avoided. He didn't want to be controversial, but it was put upon him. Elvis unlocked the door for the artist to come. He shifted the paradigm in a colossal way. There'd be no Rolling Stones, Beatles, Black Sabbath if Elvis wasn't wiggling his hips around. He broke down highly conservative attitudes like few before or after did. It's hard to understate Elvis's contribution to rock music. People dedicate their lives to studying Elvis, his music, and legacy. The difficulty I've had in these podcasts so far is finding enough information on the songs I want to discuss. However, with this episode there's just too much to cover. This episode is probably long enough as it is And there's so much more I wanted to talk about. Even some of the subjects I did cover, I wanted to go into more detail. So to round things off in 1958, Elvis got drafted into the army. And for many, this was the end of his rock and roll career. During his service, Presley's mother passed away. Something which he took very hard. His manager kept promoting his songs whilst Elvis served. And on his return to civilian life, he hit the ground running and went straight back to the top. This time he was in movies singing watered-down pop songs. His manager, Colonel Tom Parker, used Elvis as a cash cow and even though the dozens of films he was in in the 60s were the equivalent of Adam Sandler movies, they made a lot of money. Similar to Adam Sandler, I suppose. I don't think Elvis wanted this. I think he wanted to do something with more artistic integrity. His rock and roll career may have ended early, but it definitely resonates even today. Elvis died in 1977 at 42 years old in his home at Graceland, which is now a tourist attraction. Beyond music, he gave so much fuel to the cultural revolution starting to take place. He took rock and roll and placed it center stage in American culture, which helped white America start accepting and appreciating black culture. Little Richard said after Presley's death. He was an integrator. Elvis was a blessing. They wouldn't let black music through. He opened the door for black music and Al Green agreed. He broke the ice for all of us. Both John Lennon and Bob Dylan have said how much listening to Presley affected their lives in such a positive way. And I could speak for hours just on the legacy of Elvis. But unfortunately, I don't have the time. Just know it was seismic. I myself have a newfound appreciation of Elvis after researching him. He wasn't perfect, after all, despite his fame he's still only human, but I do feel he's been misunderstood in many circles. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch you can contact me on twitter at ahohm100. Join me in the next episode as I discuss all of the day and all of the night by the Kinks.